Welcome to another great episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janaid Iqbal, and today we have a returning guest, Kenneth Atkins. Kenneth was on episode 10, where he discussed his experience in technology. Kenneth has also held various other jobs, one of them being in security. He's held roles such as a security guard and is currently a security supervisor. Kent and I have known each other since the freshman year of high school and have been good friends ever since. This is the second episode of several with Kenneth as he has had several jobs that he can talk about. Kent is one of the most well-read and intelligent people I know. I know you'll enjoy this episode. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get this show started. Today, we have another episode of the No Degree Podcast with Kenneth Atkins, returning guest. And today, you're going to talk about a different job. So what's the other job you do? I'm a security guard. (laughs) It's good to be back. Can you explain what type of security guard are you? Where do you work? Right now, um, I'm actually a security supervisor. So I actually oversee eight to 10 guards in a retail environment. We have different posts throughout the mall. It's a mall, so we have a bunch of stores and restaurants and like pop-up shops. We have a flea market. We have guards throughout the building and they report to me. I have some tasks like with scheduling, getting them their breaks. If they have like a medical emergency that might pop up on their posts, they'll call me and we'll determine if we have to call the ambulance or do a report. If there's any sort of liability concern or if they're shoplifting, we have to report that sort of thing. How often do incidents occur? I know, right? Or it varies depending on the day. Uh, well, the most common incident is, oh, I lost my iPhone or my wallet or, you know, a lost article of clothing, like a scarf or a glove, yeah. something like that. But we do have shoplifting incidents. There are quite a few medical emergencies because we have restaurants and people have allergies. Sometimes they're not even aware of them, especially children. Sometimes they don't know if they eat seafood or something like that. So those happen quite regularly. I dealt with one today, actually. Okay, sorry to hear that. Yeah, where a kid uh, blacked out. He had shellfish or something. So then it's our responsibility to call the ambulance, let them come, assess the person, and then the person can choose to refuse medical attention. But for our purposes, to cover our butts, we have to still call them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. How does someone become a security guard? And generally, if you can do it in New York State, you can do it in all other states. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it varies by state. Some states require... Lots of training or many hours of training, like in New York, for example, some states might require none at all. Some states might leave it to the companies to train their guards. But in New York, for example, basically there's eight hours of training at a minimum that's required to even apply. There's a background check, there's fingerprinting. I think even if you hold child support, you're not eligible or something like that. Yeah. So New York's pretty strict with it. They check like your driving record and all sorts of stuff. And then you have to also pay an application fee of $36. And then once you actually sign up with a security firm, the companies are also registered with the state, with the Department of State here in New York. Then you also have to do 16 hours of on-the-job training. So that's a total of 24 hours of training before you can work as a proper guard. And then there's annual training that you have to do. So every year, you're required to do eight hours of sort of recertification training. And then when you sign up with a company or when you're placed at a particular location or site, You might be required to learn maybe about fire extinguishers or maybe learn CPR, first aid, things that are specific to that site that employer might require. What are the different types of jobs that 
sort of fall under this field because, yes, you have the mall. What are the other ones you sort of see? Yeah, I mean, there's retail or the mall cops, as people like to call them, <laughs> which is actually a tough job. It's probably one of the tougher ones. Uh, there's corporate security. I've worked in that environment too. So sometimes it might be as simple as being at a desk in a building at the front desk. But you have to, you know, make sure that people that are coming in belong there, that they have key cards or access. If somebody has an appointment, you have to make sure that, you know, they're on the list to go upstairs. More importantly, if somebody specifically is not allowed in that building, you have to, you know, make sure that they don't come in. And if someone is there that shouldn't be there, that you notify management or even law enforcement sometimes if that's required. On the corporate side, you might also be like in a control room, maybe watching cameras doing uh, access management where you're in control of who has a key card, who doesn't, how long does their key card last, how long is it active for, creating new key cards for new staff and employees. There's also, I've even seen in some cases here in New York City where the government, either the federal government or the state government will contract out companies for guards. Like if you go down to Social Security downtown, for example, they have another company there for the front desk presence. Definitely quite a few in government setups. There's also residential security. So like you might end up in a position where you're a doorman or you're uh, watching cameras in a residence. Sometimes families have businesses that they might run out of their residence, for example. And they might have offices or rooms with cameras set up where they might ask that somebody patrol the residence every hour or maybe overnight patrol the residence when they're out of town. There's restaurants and clubs. In some cases, doormen are licensed as guards. In some cases, they're not. Bouncers, I'm not too sure about. I think they have, I think they also have licenses typically as guards. And then there's also executive protection where you might be a bodyguard or where you might assist like a driver that drives a person around. You might have to sit with that person to keep the client safe to make sure that they're not being threatened by physical harm if they're a celebrity or a politician or something like that. So there are quite a few different avenues that one can take. And I'm sure I'm missing some of them too, but those are the most common ones. What things sort of increase your chances of getting a better paying job? Because I know sometimes you have some certifications, they really enhance your ability to get a job. They really set you apart. Well, generally, like anything else, the more you know coming into it, the better you are. Like in my case, when I had my first gig, since I have a technical background already, I was able to sort of fast track my way from sitting at a desk, just greeting people, to working in a control room, watching cameras, doing shift reports, creating key cards, and doing badging for access to multiple buildings. Having a good skill set like that coming in is good. Knowing some of the industry software is good. If what you, are some of the softwares? Like uh, what kind of software? Like FLIR, for example, F-L-I-R. That's a, that's a piece of software that's typically used for watching cameras. Okay. And then if your cameras have like pan tilt zoom functionality, you can play around with the cameras that way. Maybe you have to go back and look at a recording from a certain date to, as evidence of something that might have happened. Maybe you have to furnish a video to the police for a report that they received from a person about a shoplifting incident or something like that. So knowing how to use software like FLIR is helpful. Something else I've used is called Secure, that's C-C-U-R-E, and that was for access badging, so creating key cards, disabling them, and that sort of thing. There are organizations that you can join if you're interested in networking with other professionals and maybe doing webinars and seminars and going to trade shows like ASUS International. They're probably the biggest player in the space. They offer, I think, 
for certifications, how useful the certifications are in practical day-to-day work. I don't know, but it certainly could help to have those in your resume to show that you're serious about the career path. And that might also help you fast track maybe to a supervisory position or to a management position. Because as a manager, you might be in charge of multiple sites or you might just be at one site, but maybe managing a bunch of shift supervisors and doing scheduling. There are a lot of different things that you can do. And certainly having more practical skills, street smarts, definitely, even if your company doesn't require it, knowing first aid, CPR, I mean, that's always useful, whether you're a guard or not, but, you know, definitely get those under your belt. Some companies will require you to do them like on a yearly basis just to recertify anyway. So those are definitely good to have. Maybe basic knowledge of different fire extinguishers and knowing how to communicate about different types of emergencies. I know in some instances now, some of the buildings in New York City are requiring people to even have like active shooter training and that sort of thing. Training if there's blackouts and all sorts of, you know, things like that, natural disasters, et cetera. The field is surprisingly becoming more complicated and requiring more knowledge than the average person might think it does. Most of the time, the job is more or less routine. Your days are pleasant, but you always have to be prepared in case something does come up. So as a security guard, communication is a big thing. I assume that a lot of times you are there to sort of de-escalate situations because you deal with, I don't know, people having arguments and you kind of have to go and say, hey, calm down. Or So what is that? It depends on the environment you're in. That will definitely affect your approach and what's expected of you in general. Generally speaking, security guards are there to deter any sort of activity in the first place. So the idea is that we hope that by putting guards in a location that that will discourage people who might want to steal something from doing that or people that might want to start a fight or argument from doing that. And then also, you know, they're there to help people. If you're maybe in a retail environment, maybe give directions, even the time sometimes, you know, that happens too. So first and foremost, their job is to deter any sort of activity and then also to observe and detect anything that might look like it's out of place, whether it's a suspicious person, a suspicious package, or, you know, someone leaving something behind, whether it's inadvertent or not. It's our job to pick up on these things, you know, to pick up on changes in activity in the environment, the traffic in the environment. Sometimes you'll be at a, like a static or a stationary post where you're in one place all day. Sometimes you might rotate posts. Sometimes you might have a post where you have to patrol around a building or through a building or outdoors somewhere. It's a very dynamic job. It's very important to be observant, be aware of your surroundings, know the building or the environment you work in, how many floors it has, where the staircases are, where the fire exits are, roughly how many people are here at this time or how many people are here after a certain time at night so that we can make sure we get them all out of here and that everyone's safe. And if anything does happen, you have to use your discretion because you don't a security guard cannot, for example, arrest someone without having, if someone commits a crime and you're not aware of it or you didn't see it and somebody else says, hey, that guy stole my wallet, you didn't see it happen. So you can't apprehend him. That's the police officer's job at that point to deal with that sort of situation. So typically if something like that happens, if someone says, hey, I was pickpocketed or someone snatched my purse, all we can really do under the law is tell them, okay, you have to file a police report and then we can provide video footage to them as evidence if needed. Of course, if you see two children fighting or something like that, and you can break it up and it's not a 
think, you know, something that's going to get you hurt, you can use your discretion to stop that because, you know, that's a spectacle that's causing a ruckus in a public space. But generally, we just want to be there to observe, report the incident to our supervisor or to our front desk, to our central locations that they can call the police, that they can come handle the situation. I know that armed guard is a thing. What is that? And typically, do they get paid more? How does that work? Yeah. So most guards here in New York City, for example, I would say are unarmed. That means that their job is just to observe, detect, and deter activity and then to report anything that they do see to their supervisor or to their front desk. However, there are also guards that are given the additional responsibility of carrying a firearm in some instances if they're working in an environment where there might be financial transactions or money being transferred between places. If you're on an armored truck or a car, for example, if you're dealing with vaults or if you're in a government building, there's some times where the government entrusts you to carry a firearm here in New York City. So that requires, with New York State, in addition to the 24 hours of training that I outlined before, an additional 47 hours of training with a firearm. That's a lot of time actually in the range, learning how to use a firearm safely, becoming comfortable with the platform that you work with, because that's a tool for your job, but also learning about the law, use of force, you know, deadly force, the responsibility that that is, and learning how to de-escalate situations and understanding that drawing a firearm is always a last resort. I don't know how similar it is to police training, which I'm sure is much more intense, but nonetheless, it's still 47 hours of training and it is very intense training to that extent. There's the state requirement for 47 hours. And in addition to that, you have to already be able to own a firearm at home. So that's another process that requires a whole set of background checks and interviews with the New York City Police Department, for example, here in New York City. Additionally, your employer might have additional requirements, but then your employer is also responsible for meeting additional requirements with the New York City Police Department to allow you to either carry a firearm at work only or to carry a firearm from home to work and back. So in some instances, you might have what's called a gun custodian, who is a person at the job site that is responsible for giving the weapons to you when you come to work and taking it back from you and inventorying it and making sure that it's a matching serial number and putting it away and locking it up. And in some instances, there is no gun custodian at a site because it might be constraints like the location, it might be somewhere remote, or it might just be a small location, or maybe you have a job where you move around. So then you have to be licensed by the New York City Police Department to carry your firearm from home to work or from home to multiple work sites. And then there are additional restrictions like how long you can be outside of the home or off of the work site while transporting the firearm to and from work and that sort of thing. What would you say are some of the benefits or some of the things that come with the job? Because I know a lot of times you can do it part time. Sometimes people hold like two, three jobs at the same time because just due to the nature of the work, you can work like three 12 hour shifts or you can work four 10 hour shifts or they have long shifts and that happens. Can you expand more on that? Security work can be rewarding for a person, especially in my experience, having worked with lots of people who are maybe in college or people who might have had a child or something like that, where they need a little more flexibility in their schedule. So they're not always, they're typically not salary. They're typically hourly. 
And typically they have some control over when they're expected to go to work or they can easily trade shifts with a coworker. It, as a career, it tends to draw, draw people in who are students or people who want to maybe go into a criminal justice type of career down the line, be it law enforcement or military or some sort of other criminal justice career or maybe even working as an attorney. That's been my experience working with people as a guard. Some people might work for multiple companies because that just lines up with the hours that they want, or maybe they might find that one company is offering better perks than another. It's quite a competitive field. There are some companies that are massive and have hundreds or thousands of contracts, especially like in the New York City metro area. But there are also companies that are competing and every year or every other year, the two or three big companies that are out there take the contracts from one another. So they're always competing for staff and offering higher pay and fringe benefits. And unions have also helped with sort of getting some more benefits for guards. I think it's definitely a good gateway, especially if you want to get into law enforcement down the line. It teaches you some common sense, teaches you how to show up to work on time, press a uniform, talk to people, understanding the responsibility of listening to people, having to process their concerns, sometimes having to deal with situations that might push you out of your comfort zone, but, you know, giving you time to sort of or giving you a means to see things that you might not see otherwise from a different perspective. And I think it's worthwhile experience. What type of people do you see t- who tend to do bad in this? Like Because they think, oh, I'm just going to stand there all day and hang out. Precisely those type of people. So <laughs> people, <laughs> first of all, every job is different. So there are some jobs where you might be expected to stand. There are some where you will be able to sit. There are some where you have to walk around, some where you have to stand still. Somewhere you have to maybe go up and down stairs. Maybe you have to carry things. So first you have to understand the responsibilities of the particular job that you have and determine if those are things that you can do. The people that I've seen succeed typically are people who show up on time. They respect their colleagues' time. Like typically, if a person is standing on a post all day, they don't want to have to stand there one minute longer than required. So if a person works from nine to five or eight to four, seven to three, whatever their shift is, they don't want to be there one minute past that time. And it's also the culture in many environments to show up to let that person leave 15 minutes early. And that typically the idea is, it's sort of like an unspoken rule that that's sort of reciprocated across every shift. So if you come to work at nine, typically you really should show up before that to relieve the guy who's been there all night at 845 so he can leave and so on and so on across each shift. That right there, being courteous to your colleagues and respectful of their time, being, I think, empathic. If you have to deal with customers or visitors, being able to listen to people's concerns. Sometimes people are panicked or frantic or they're upset because their concern is the most important thing in the world to them at that time. You have to understand that, not get upset with them. Just be you know, sort of patient and stoic and try to keep them calm. Knowing how to work under pressure, knowing how to communicate effectively, like you said earlier, that's very important. I recommend that everyone who's a security guard have a pen and pad at all times. And even if you have a smartphone, you know, use the camera on your smartphone. If you have to take photos for your report, that's always helpful. If you have a vehicle or a license plate you want to record, get a photograph of it or of a person that you want to report. People who are unsuccessful, typically they take a job where they have to stand and they don't want to stand. They make excuses. They're this hurts, they're that hurts, they're sick. They have this problem, that problem. They call out very often. 
which messes up things because sometimes when a person calls out, the person that's been there for eight hours already has to stay for an undefined amount of time until a replacement person can be found. So that can be tough. Sometimes a person that ends up staying for a second eight-hour shift if a person cannot be found. So people who call out a lot don't tend to last very long. People who show up late, people who want to argue with visitors to their building or customers, they don't typically do very well. People who argue with their colleagues don't typically, you know, so it's the sort of thing that would pretty much hurt your success in any workplace, even more so because you're dealing not only with people that you work with, but also with outside people. And you have more of a responsibility because your job is to keep those people safe. What other things would you want people to know about being a security guard or what's good to know? It can be a, it's fulfilling work for the right type of person. The work can be very flexible to suit your needs. You can do it on a part-time basis. Typically, you can work at some really cool places, meet some interesting people. It can be an opportunity potentially to network, to find yourself, see if you want to go into a law enforcement career or a loss prevention career or a security management professional career. What are some of the interesting places that you've sort of worked at, like interesting environments? I've worked as a doorman in a residential setting. How was that? Interesting. When you work at night, you get a lot of people coming in. Sometimes people that, that don't even live in the building, they're drunk. So you have to, you know, know how to deal with that sort of situation. You have to also sort of know who lives in a building, especially if you're in New York City. You have sometimes buildings that have many residents. So you have to come to recognize faces because people that live in a building don't want to be stopped and questioned about why they're in their own home. You learn how to deal with different people, personalities, temperaments. You have to accept packages, typically sign for them if you're a doorman, report any leaks or other issues that residents might report to you, you have to make sure to communicate that with your colleagues and with maybe your maintenance team or your engineering team. I've also worked in corporate environments. I've worked like in social media, for example, where tensions can be high sometimes if there are mass shootings, you know, there are concerns about, okay, there was a mass shooting at this company or that company. We have to make sure that that doesn't happen here. Well, that we can keep our people safe here. So how can we increase security? What sort of standard operating procedures do we have in place here to deal with bomb threats or protests that might appear outside? Do we notify the NYPD? Who do we have that's a direct contact at our local precinct? How do we get our staff out of here if there's a natural disaster or some other emergency? So those can be interesting environments too. Although they can be less stressful than some of the other environments because you're typically able to sit down at a desk, they can be more stressful in the sense that when something really does happen, it can be really, really dire. So corporate was interesting for me, and now I work in retail. I didn't know what to expect going into it, but I work with some nice people. We, I think we have a good dynamic. We get to you know serve customers, and we have a lot of tourists at our location, so... We get to meet people from all different parts of the world. People ask us for questions on the best restaurants or where to go or how to get here or there or what we recommend that they check out while here in the city. So that can be fun. We have a lot of different stores and restaurants and vendors, and we have to build relationships with each of those businesses, and there are dozens of them. So that can be rewarding too. And I've seen, for example, on my team, in some cases where people have moved from some of the retail businesses as employees there to members of my team. 
And that's also benefited them because they already had a rapport with people in the businesses where they worked or throughout the mall. So that can be useful too. So in many ways, security, I mean, it covers all sorts of, it covers everything. Again, whether you're in a retail environment, a corporate environment, a residential environment, whether you're doing loss prevention where you're like in plain clothes and you're just looking for people who are shoplifting, whether you're doing executive protection and you're bodyguarding, you can meet some cool people that way too and pick up some useful contacts that way. I think it's something for everyone if they have the temperament for it and they don't mind having a lot of seemingly monotonous downtime. If you're a student especially, the downtime would be great for you because you can read, you can study, you can watch Khan Academy, you know, this plan that you can do. And if you're a person that likes to have a little bit of a challenge and a dynamic environment where things change, that might be the case too, just depending on what you do. Yeah, because it, it varies because I know some jobs have a lot of downtime and there are other jobs where you're like event security. Right. You don't have any downtime. Exactly. And that's another one too. Event security is a big one. I mean, whether it's a music festival or a trade show like a Jacob Jabs or something like that, those are very big events. And sometimes you have to be very quick and think on your feet if something happens, there's a crowd or a riot. There are many facets of security work, be it armed, unarmed, financial industry, if you're at landmarks like museums and institutes, there's everything for everyone. If you like history and you get in, you get a job at a museum, maybe you can even be present for some galas and eat events like that. You can't talk to people if you're working, but if you're somebody who is interested or excited by those sort of things, it can also expose you at times to culture or events that you otherwise might not ever have been able to see. What are some big no-nos? Because you said you shouldn't talk to the people while you're working because your job is to sort of observe. And if you're talking to someone, it's sort of harder to do your Yeah, job. especially if you're event security. You don't want to start talking to some famous film director or something. That's not a good idea. <laughs> Unless he asks you to do something that, you know, some no-nos in general speak when spoken to. I mean, yeah. Just be a responsible, reliable, dependable person, both for your team and for the people that you're responsible for helping and protecting. And that was just sort of, I guess, tie back in with the do's and don'ts for success. You know, do right by your team, show up on time. Don't try to avoid work. Don't try to put more work on your other team members. And first and foremost, when you come to work, make an effort to see your colleagues as part of a team, because ultimately you're all responsible for each other's safety. You mentioned before that there are a lot of careers that this could lead into, like the law enforcement and all that. But I also see a lot of people who are in certain careers after they get their pensions, they go to security work to sort of, right, they have some money coming in and they sort of have this to sort of have a job for additional income. What professions do you see commonly become security guards? I know it's common for cops to become security guards, right? That's corporate- the- that's the most common. And for example, here in New York, I think if you're active law enforcement, so if you're currently a police officer, you don't have to go through all of the background checks and all the other prerequisite requirements that a lay person or, or a non-law enforcement person would have to go through to become a guard. If you're a police officer, it's much easier, for example, to become an armed guard because a police officer can typically already carry a firearm unrestricted to and from work. So police officers are the most common choice among the big companies for armed work. 
Onbrook typically does pay, not always, but it typically pays quite a bit more than your standard unarmed jobs. It can pay as much as $10 or $15 per hour more than an unarmed job. Whereas the going rate for unarmed work now might be somewhere between $18 and $20 per hour here in New York City. As of 2019, you will find that armed jobs might pay anywhere from 25 or 27-ish to up to 40 plus dollars per hour, which I think is a big difference. That's a big difference. And of course, among the police officers and people that typically get recruited into that sort of work, there's also a sort of social network that's built up that way too. And that's typically by word of mouth. Yeah. People who are either active or retired law enforcement are typically drawn to security work because they already know the lay of the land. They know if something looks out of place, they know how to deal with people or crowds or certain situations that somebody else might not be as readily comfortable with. Yeah. So they are desirable to companies and they like the work because it gives them downtime too, especially if they just want to get a couple extra hours in here or there, or if they are retired and they're getting a pension already. It can just maybe put a couple extra bucks in their pocket if they have some short-term goals. Or if they're just somebody who wants to get out of the house, it might suit them, especially if it's a retail environment where they can talk to people. That's a security job where you can talk to people and be friendly and smile and move around all day. So that might benefit somebody who's a little bit older or who is an empty nester, so to speak, that might want to get out the house and do something. Other people might just be people who just want something to do and might not have a law enforcement background, but I personally have not seen any age discrimination that was blatant or that comes to mind in the field. So as far as I'm concerned, being a certain age or above a certain age is not a hindrance to be to being a guard as long as you're good at your job. And as long as you can physically stand, right? As long as you can physically meet the requirements, be it going up and downstairs, patrolling a building and that sort of thing. It's a job that anybody can do as long as they're prepared to do those things. Do you see a lot of like former military sort of get into that? I've seen a few. It depends. That being because probably depending on what you did in the military, you might just naturally find yourself drawn to something else depending on the sort of training that you received. But certainly I've seen veterans work in security while maybe transitioning from coming back from a military deployment while trying to find work in a field that they really want to hone in on or maybe before going to school to seek further education or training. I've definitely seen some military people. I haven't seen a ton of them, but I've seen a few. Yeah, but most, I would say most people that I have seen that have some sort of law enforcement or military, paramilitary training are typically law enforcement or retired law enforcement. Is overtime common in the industry? It can be. It depends on your employer. In some instances, depending on how your employer's company is set up, they might actively incentivize managers to give as little overtime as possible. So that's why you'll find that some guards do have multiple jobs because sometimes it's hard for them to get more than 35 or more than 40 hours per week at one job. And they might be a person who is hungry and wants to make some more money. So they might work a second job because they might not be able to get that overtime at their first job. At the location where I work, for example, overtime is encouraged and we're happy to give it because the contract allows for it and the money is there. So if a person wants to work, we'll give them the time. And sometimes we have an issue where we can't find people that want to do the overtime. That's another thing. So there's definitely overtime available at some sites. If a person wants it, it's there. You just have to find a location where you have a manager who's willing to work with you to do that and take it from there. What are the common shifts? Are they 
I guess eight hours is a common shift, but are there shifts like 12, 16 hours, as little as four hours? I've seen, well, first, depending on where you work, you might have one shift in a day, two shifts in a day, or three shifts in a day, right? So you might have three eight-hour shifts that just rotate, and those might be like a seven to three, three to 11, 11 to seven, or you might have a typical, more of a office typical nine to five type of thing and so on from there or eight to four and so on from there. I've seen that too. I've also worked at sites where there are just two shifts. Like if you're in a residential security setting and you have to watch a building that might have limited access hours or we're just, or where people also have keys for the building anyway. So you might be expected to be at the desk from say, maybe seven to three, and then you have a second guard from three to 11. But after that, there's no guard there overnight, for example, because the residents might have their own keys to come in. The same does happen to a lesser extent in office environments too, where staff might have their own keys to come in overnight, especially if they're like maintenance staff or that sort of thing. There's not a guard necessarily required to be there. And I've also seen 12-hour shifts, more so in corporate environments, but they're probably, and they probably exist everywhere in different industries, but I've seen them more so like in corporate environments where you might have like a seven to seven or something like that, or maybe even a 12 to 12 I've seen where you work like from noon to midnight. Okay. I've seen that too. So it really just depends on location, but yeah, there are typically you have eight hour shifts and I've seen 12 hour shifts. They're not uncommon either. Is there any direction that you see the industry sort of heading? You said technology is getting more and more intertwined in the industry. Are there any other changes that you're seeing? Just the... Technology always helps us. And again, if a security professional makes him or herself comfortable with, I think the proper term is probably identity management or identity access management, I think is probably the proper term. So that means working with badging systems, you know, like touchless key cards, HID systems are called. That's a brand name that makes a lot of the equipment for those systems. Being comfortable with camera systems, being computer savvy at a minimum, because at times you might have to make a report digitally. You might have to do a shift activity report, depending on where you work. I think it's just very important that one understands that because the line of work does have or can have a low barrier to entry, it's important to make sure that you keep yourself up to date on things that you might not be required to know for your job at the time because you might find another role opens up that you might want to jump to. And because there's so much competition, it's important to have those skills. So maybe you live in New York City and there are certain fire department licenses that you're expected to have if you're a guard or if you're a guard working in a certain place where you want to work, like an F01 or F03 or F60. Those are different fire license designations I'm talking about now. Those might come in handy if you work at certain sites and those sites might say, okay, we're hiring and we want somebody with this, this, and this. So you've got to have those things already anyway, especially when it's such a low barrier to entry. Initially, you want to make sure that you have whatever you can in your pocket to set yourself apart from your competition, so to speak. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Kenneth. Absolutely. Appreciate it. And like I said, feel free to reach out to us. We've written an article about it and we will have some helpful links and have some things in the show notes. And again, it's a very good job for a lot of people, especially if you're in between careers. It's It allows for steady work. And the beauty of it is, is that there's work all over the country. That's right. It's very portable work too. So you can always move around with it. All right, cool. Thanks. This is another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Remember, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com. 
another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash no degree. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at no degree podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal spelled J-O-N-A-E-D last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. No degree.com. Yeah. So you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.